This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm flying solo today as my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, is in California hosting our Open to Hope cable show. If you'd like to watch these shows, just go and log on to opentohope.com, where you'll find thousands of shows, um, and they're all dedicated to finding hope after loss. And today, I have got a great guest on, and I'm so glad I finally got her on the show because I've known her for many years, and we are going to talk about my favorite topic because it is a topic that is near and dear to my heart personally, and that is sibling loss. And our guest today is Karen Soltero, who is calling in from Texas. Karen, you're in Texas, right? Yep, I sure am. I'm in Dallas. <laughs> That's what I thought. I knew you lived there. So Karen <laughs> is calling in from Dallas today, and I'm here in the New York City studio. Uh, Karen is a brief sibling, having lost her younger sister, Wendy, in 2000 during a random robbery attempt in Hollywood. Karen is an active participant in the Compassionate Friends, which is where I met her, and she leads workshops nationally and has done that since 2007. I've got to say, her workshop is, if not the most popular, one of the most, and people love it, and they love what she has to say about sibling loss, and listening to her and how she's found hope, and we'll talk a lot about that today. And she's also involved with the Brady Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence. Welcome to our show, Karen. Thank you. I'm so happy I'm finally here. Yes, I am too. So tell us a little bit about your story and about um, Wendy and your journey. So um, my sister, uh, she came out to California um, in 1998. I had been living out in L.A. for several years. I'd done my undergraduate degree at UCLA, and I was in grad, starting grad school at uh, Claremont. And um, and so she was uh, a transfer student to Occidental, and so we got a chance to live together for a couple of years when she was going to undergrad and I was in grad school. And uh, and it was a really great experience because we were really close growing up. We'd always been um, good friends and, and close sisters and getting along, but uh, this was our first opportunity to really live together and be adults in the same city. So uh, it was a really lucky time for me to to be in that moment with her. Um, she was um, she was killed in a robbery in the fall of 2000. She was uh, in her senior final year at Occidental, and uh, it was about two weeks after I had started um, or had moved into a, an apartment nearby. So I just moved out of living with her um, because I was starting a full-time job mm-hmm. uh, after grad school. And she went out to um, pick up some friends who were at a bar uh, in Hollywood, and um, one of them was uh, an international student, so she did not have a U.S. driver's license. The other one had had too much to drink, so they called Wendy to come down and pick them up. And uh, and so she went down to get them, and um, and they hung out for a little while after hours because they knew the, the people that worked at the bar. And then they drove over to a, um, a friend's house, another student's apartment, uh, just a few blocks away. I think they were going to see if he was home and could help them take the car back to campus. 
and um, and they were double parked outside. And I, I think one of them ran up to the door and nobody answered. So they were trying to figure out kind of their next step about three in the morning, two thirty in the morning. And uh, and a car pulled up behind them. And uh, it was a young girl that came to the window. She was 19 years old at the time. And um, she put a gun through the window and, and uh, demanded uh, everyone's wallets, wow. all their money. Um, my sister was in the driver's seat. The window was partly open. And um, and so they were all cooperating. I know that the, um, the girl who was in the back seat was very upset. Um, the one in the front did most of the talking, Wendy's friend Celine, and she, you know, she told the girl to calm down. We would, you know, they would cooperate mm-hmm. uh, and give them everything they had. Um, and, uh, and we're not really sure why she did it, but my sister was leaned over to get her purse, which was down in the center well of the car. And um, and she shot my sister point blank in the head. Wow, that is awful, Karen. So um, she took the wallets and the money over my sister's body, mm-hmm. and um, and she was with a guy, and they were they were fortunately for us, um, you know, not that not that justice served changes how things feel, but. Um, but it does certainly eliminate the, the not knowing or the confusion of what, what might have happened. She was, they were caught mm-hmm. um, not long after um, mm-hmm. attempting another uh, armed robbery at a, at a car. They had completed two others in the course of the evening, um, and my sister's car was the second one that they, they weren't you know, taking the cars but just taking the money and then usually taking um, the, the car keys as well. The person could drive away. Mm-hmm. And um, and the only murder was Wendy. And did they so. just say, did she? Did this 19-year-old say why she did it? No, she said that it was an accident. She claimed that she just didn't know what she was doing. She didn't mean to pull the trigger. Um, during the trial, uh, her defense mounted an argument that um, the guy who was with her got out of the car and crawled around so low that neither other passenger in my sister's car could see him um, and pulled on her arm, her free arm, causing her to pull the trigger. Um, but uh, as my sister's friend, Sadine, testified um, during the trial, after she shot Wendy, she said, give me your wallets or I'll kill you too. So, and she um, also went and started and did more crime. Yeah, and then they went you on. Know? I mean, here she just killed someone. And then get and, caught and, yeah. a fourth one, yeah. Unbelievable. And and did she end up, I, I take it she ended up serving time in jail. Yeah. they. Um, we had to have two trials. They actually tried them separately. And um, both were convicted of first-degree murder. Um, in the state of California, there is no death penalty. So, um, I mean, there is death penalty, but they don't. Um, there is, sorry, I said that wrong. There is uh, life without the possibility of parole mm-hmm. um, because that exists and because of her age and her you know, juvenile record, she only had a juvenile record that was sealed. They, um, you know, they elected not to seek death penalty. Um, you know, like in, in Texas, there's no such thing as life without parole, but in California, there is. And so, first degree murder comes with that that LWAP sentence. So they are both in prison for good. Life without parole. And how mm-hmm. traumatic for you? I mean, because you not only lost your sister, but she was murdered, and then yeah. you had to deal with the trial. Yeah, it's it's a prolonging experience. It takes that grief cycle and it it sort of puts it on on pause and repeat I guess if you, you know if you're like a record mm-hmm. it would be on repeat and it's just because you you know every time you go through the system and you go through another hearing or another trial or another piece of the process 
you have to um, you have to replay and relive everything all over again. And so you know it's it was it was two two years really two and a half years to go through that whole process. Wow. So for those out there that if that have had loved ones die have been murdered, this is part of this is another whole piece. Mm-hmm. to the healing process is that you have to deal with the trauma and you have to go through the the court, et cetera. And like yeah. you said, you kind of have to put part of your grief on hold for two and a half years, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because there's, you know, there's this constant, you know, fear and uncertainty. And we were, you know, lucky in that we had a very strong case and we had really um, solid evidence and all of those things that, you know, if they could put your mind to rest, they would, except that they don't because the decision process still is held by, you know, 12 strangers who mm-hmm. are making that decision for, you know, for the fate of these people. And, um, and yeah, you can't, you have to just stay in it um, pretty consistently for that whole time period. Unbelievable, Karen. And did you stay in Southern California after your sister was murdered? I did, yeah. I stayed there for quite some time. I, I only moved back to Texas in early 2011, so um, over, um, you know, over 10 years, 11 years after she died. And, and were you scared? I mean, because it turned your world upside down, and all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, I don't live in a safe world. I mean, did you were you scared at all? Did it change the way that you saw the world after your sister died as far as your own safety? It it I was always... Um, I think I was always kind of a cautious person by nature anyways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it changed so much about me, but I think that's because of who I was to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was sort of the carefree, you know, live on the edge person. And I, I had always kind of been, I think if anything, it just, it reaffirmed that necessity that like you need to be cautious um, you know, in this world, that this is a, a society that, you know, you, you you can't sit double parked with your window half down. It's not, that's not a safe place, you know, right. late at night. Right. And uh, so, so you lived in California for 10 years and did you feel like, I mean, people, I imagine since your family, your family was in Texas, right? Your yeah. parents? Mm-hmm. Okay. My parents were in Dallas. Yeah. So I imagine a lot of people that, that knew Wendy, and knew your family, your whole family were in Texas. Did you feel like you got support in, in California? Uh, well, I did. I was lucky actually, and it doesn't exist now, but at the time um, I was considered a, a victim of a violent crime in the state of California. Mm-hmm. And um, the state actually had funded um, therapy. There was, you know, there was a, a state mandated fund for, you know, those survivors of a violent crime and, you know, what was, what I thought was really um, validating for me in that time was the state did consider me the victim of that violent crime. You know, it wasn't just my sister, but I was too. And so um, I, I had an opportunity that was, that I don't, you know, doesn't exist anymore. um, But I think was incredibly valuable in that it was, it was, it really granted me that 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 persona, I guess, or that ability to be that person um, out loud. So, was it an individual therapy that you got? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, which kind of validated and acknowledged, look, and didn't minimize right the it fact really, that you had had this yeah, horrific loss. Exactly, which was tremendous in my mind. You know, I didn't think about it much at the time, other than that's great. Like, obviously, I need it, but. It, you know, if I think about the validation that it gave 
to me in, you know, my, my being allowed to, to feel those things. Cause I think sometimes what happens is, you know, you're not the person in the crime. Like, you know, my sister had two people that survived that, that were in the car with them. And, you know, very naturally it would be understood that maybe they suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, but it was, it was helpful for me that there was a state recognition and that there was this, this larger recognition that I might suffer from those things as well, because I did, you know, definitively. I like that idea because you were, you were a victim in this as much as anybody else. I mean, you lost your sister yeah, and someone that you were close to and someone that you had lived with and someone that you thought you were going to grow old with. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of trauma that goes along with, you know, something of this nature. I mean, spending, you know, two weeks in the courtroom across the glass from the person that killed my sister Mm -hmm. you know those things are really really traumatizing to go through and I think um I think having you know having acknowledgement and recognition and and any place where I got that there was you know a really great moment at the end of the trial when they allowed us to come in and give a victim's impact statement where we were it was the only time we were because we weren't put on the stand at any point in time um we were allowed to enter the the courtroom side of you know not the gallery and and speak directly to the defense attorneys and to the to the criminals and um i think i think any of those pieces and parts that um, allow somebody to be validated for how they're feeling or what the experience is. As hard as they are, they're really helpful. And, and that was that was empowering because you had yeah. been, like yeah, you said, victimized absolutely. and you could tell these people, this is what you've done and this is what you've taken from me. Right. So, so Karen, given that you've lost so much, you're a really positive person and you, I know you're very into the health and wellness industry. And I want to know, how did you find your way back to hope? What did you do to take care of yourself and to get um, where you I are had- today? sort of in baby steps to kind of find my way back. I think, um, you know, a lot of it, uh, I, I, a lot of it, honestly, I credit to my sister. She was, Wendy was a very big, vibrant personality and just, you know, she, the joke was, you know, she would, her room was a mess and she wouldn't make her bed. And, and, you know, I'd say, why didn't you make your bed? She's like, well, there's too many other better things to do with the day. Like, <laughs> I love it. mess it up and go to sleep in it again. So why spend 10 minutes or five minutes I could be doing something more valuable, making a bed I'm just going to unmake. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so that sort of <laughs> logical reasoning behind, like, really, you know, live your life. Like, do the things you want to do really, really stuck with me. And, you know, I always kind of said she'd kick my butt if I didn't, you know, if I didn't press on and I didn't keep trying to, to find those those places of whiteness and joy. And so for me, it was just... I, I love what you're saying, Kara, because you're saying you're really, you know, making me realize how big of an impact Wendy still has on your life. It's like yeah. she, you could hear what she would want, would have wanted you to do and kind of, okay, Wendy lived life to its fullest. She yeah. lived life so much that she didn't even have time to make her bed because she was so busy living it. And in order to connect with her and to celebrate her life, it sounds like you're doing, you're living your best life. Yeah, I, that's what I try to do. And I mean, I look, sometimes I come home and I look at my unmade bed and I think, well, okay, I'm just going to get back in it later. And, you <laughs> I know, love it. If there's guests coming over, then I'll make it. And I'm making it because I want it to look nice because I want, you know, people who are coming to visit to have an experience in my home. And that's very different, you know, um, than, oh, I just need to do this. It's something that you do every day. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a, a big piece of it. Um, and some of it's just 
finding those little moments for me, you know, finding those things that were rewarding for me, uh, you know, during the trials, I spent a lot of time at the gym just because, you know, having that exercise, you know, getting those endorphins and that outlet was, was helpful. It helped me get through the stress. So, so going to the gym and making that a big priority in your life. Yeah. It, it, it's always, I've always noticed that I feel better if I'm active and, um, and I do something, I, it, it tends to clear my brain. It was, you know, it's probably the hardest piece of um, the sickness that I went through a few years ago with my leg infection where I, I can't really run the way I used to run anymore. And it's a challenge for me because that was the one thing that really could shut everything else off was running. Mm. And I, I don't have it anymore. And so I have to find other things that I can do that create that same experience. And what other things have you found? Um, you know, I, I have found... Um, because I do teach fitness classes, and that's that's a different experience. But I have found that there's a, a handful of, of classes that I can go to in the area. Um, there's one that's a you know like a Pilates fusion class where it's so fast and it's so challenging that I I can't really stop to think about anything else from start to finish. And so that's kind of the physical like outlet that I seek is something that's good for me. But um, but really I I have to shut up like all the thoughts in my head and all of the other things that are going on and concentrate in order to get through that experience. I like that idea. And, and give your, give your mind a rest because we a can, break. Yeah, yes, exactly. yeah, we, can, <laughs> we can replay the trauma narrative a lot. And I know yeah. you're also involved in the Brady campaign for the prevention of gun violence. Tell me a little bit about that. So, um, the Brady campaign, I got involved, um, in probably in 2004, really around the same time that I got involved in TCF and um, got to know some people and, and got invited to speak at a couple of different fundraising events in Dallas and Los Angeles and participate in some events in New York City and um, and really, you know, lend my voice. Um, I had a really uh, wonderful moment when I got to share my story in front of the, the big L.A. fundraising gala and um, had an introduction by Ariana Huffington and, mm. um, and, and it was a great experience because it was, the room was very filled with, you know, well-to-do, um, Los Angeles people, celebrities and all of these people. And, and I think being able to stand up and, and speak as a victim and, and look like them and sound like them and, and come from similar backgrounds, I think hopefully was really telling that, you know, we think sometimes gun violence happens and, bad neighborhoods mm-hmm. or to people who aren't like us. And the people that are, de- are dealing drugs or something. I mean, here your right, sister was just exactly. picking, and, and not sitting a, in her car, minding her own business a, with her not, friends. Not somebody at, a, at a, a, a well-to-do, you know, private college, not a senior mm-hmm. who went to an all-girls prep school. And, you know, it wasn't, it was wrong place, wrong time, 110%. So mm-hmm. I think that was, you know, for me to be able to speak and, and lend my voice is really valuable. I think what, what, Brady, you know, and other organizations like them are doing um, to really speak out about sensible gun laws is huge. I just just went to a screening last week of um, Katie Kirk's new documentary, Under the Gun, and if you haven't seen it, I think they're airing it on Epics. It's oh, well, fantastic. I haven't. Under the Gun, okay. It's called Under the Gun, and it's, um, it's really, really wonderfully well done, and it really explains what's happening, you know, with the gun laws and why things get roadblocked. And it's very matter-of-fact. It's, it's Katie Kirk. So it's not put in a, a judgmental light. It's, it's a true documentary, 
And um, it really does illustrate kind of what's happening in politics that, like, puts the resistance, you know, and why things like Columbine and Aurora and all these things continue to happen. Um, Karen, I love what you're doing. And I love how you're being of service because I feel like when we turn our grief outward, we really begin to heal. And for those siblings out there, we're going to close in a minute, but for those siblings out there that are listening and that don't know how they're going to survive, what advice do you have for them? One, one step at a time, one day at a time. I, you know, the thing that people tell me all the time that I, that's hard for me is, is someone will say, you're so strong. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it if it happened to me. And, you know, my answer always is I hope it never happens to you, but I'm telling you, you can, because we do and we survive every day. And all you do is start by putting one foot in front of the other and until it gets a little bit better. And it, the grief never lessens, and sometimes it gets worse, but you you learn how to wear it, if that makes sense. Well, Karen, thank you so much, and you've definitely worn it well, and I know that Wendy is your guiding light and your inspiration for living your best life, and you really, really do. And I want to thank you for being on the show today. Of course. I'm so happy I could do it. Great. And thank you for listening to the Open to Hope show. And if you'd like to listen to more shows like this, Go to opentohope.com where we have radio shows, we have TV shows you can watch, and articles that you can read. They're all dedicated to helping people find hope after loss. And if you've lost hope, please lean on mine and Karen's until you've found your own. Thank you. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.